0: Welcome back to the Workspace Podcast. I am your host, Justin Moran. My guest this week is Ed Everts of Excellius Leadership Development. Ed is an executive coach. I've had executive coaches on as guests in the past, but we really focused in on his work with teams, how to coach teams. A great topic that I thought that most business owners and professionals could really benefit from. So sit back, relax, listen, and enjoy. Hey, Ed, thanks for joining me today. Thanks, Justin. It's really great to be here. Appreciate your time. So Ed Everts from Excellius Leadership Development. You're a business coach, and you work with executives and teams, and you've got sort of a, a list of the five behaviors of cohesive teams And so let's just dive right into it and talk a little bit about those behaviors and how you work with folks to really strengthen their teams.
1: Great. Yeah. You know, most of my work is done in two areas. One is one-on-one leadership with business leaders. And all of those business leaders are members of teams. And you might know, and certainly from folks who are in corporate organizations, people are on dozens of teams. And most of those teams have a couple of really big challenges One is that they're understructured, so they don't really know necessarily why they're working on what they're working on. They know what it is, but they don't know how it's going to impact the value of the organization or what it is that the organization is attempting to do. And they don't structure the team very well. They don't have ways of following up. They don't have ways of dealing with issues that aren't going well. It's great to be on a team where everything's going perfectly, but most teams don't have that experience.
0: Sounds like 101 type of stuff, like just sort of blocking and tackling small little things that just to make the team run better.
1: Yeah. You know, it's amazingly mostly basics. It's basics on how to operate a team. Most people's calendars are very full. And so to be on a team or to go to a team meeting, you need to be excited and energized and not like, oh, God, I got to go to that team meeting another one. And we're going to be there all day. and We're going to waste a lot of time. And we're going to talk about what we talked about last week. And we're never going to come to a conclusion. I mean, you hear all these stories. Myself, is, uh, you know, as an example of somebody who, in my tenure in corporate America, was on dozens of teams. You know, Most of the teams just were not structured well. And then the second issue is that they're underled. And so the leader, and every team needs a leader, don't lead well. And they don't manage the time. They don't manage the people. They don't manage the issues effectively. And so, like we were just saying, it becomes more of a burden and a distraction versus a energized and value-added activity that I want to be on and that I want to contribute to and spend a lot of time doing.
0: And I suspect the leader doesn't necessarily have to be the highest-ranked
1: person in the room. No, no. The leader can be anybody who is an active member of the team. There's always going to be a higher or highest-ranking person in the room, and oftentimes they are the quote-unquote leader. But it could be anybody. It could be anybody who's a valued, well-organized, well-structured, in some ways, bold participant who can help manage the direction that the team is going in. Very good.
0: All right, so let's dive right into it here. What are the, some of these behaviors of cohesive teams?
1: Yeah, so the, uh, one of the programs that I do with teams is something called the Five Behaviors of a Cohesive Team. And it's based on the work of Patrick Lencioni, who wrote The Five Dysfunctions of a Team. And in that book, he has a pyramid of behaviors that he believes teams need to demonstrate in order to be effective. And so, you know, in working through this program with teams, it creates great conversations and great interactions that most teams have not had the opportunity to do. Mm -hmm. Most teams would tell me either halfway through or at the end of the program, you know, we talked about things today or this week that we've never talked about that we should have talked about years ago, right? I mean, these sometimes are teams that have been working together for years, and these are behaviors or frustrations or irritations or you know whatever words you want to attach to them that have existed that people haven't had the courage or the place or time to share. And so it becomes a great way to talk about things like trust, and the importance of being able to trust each other. And in the model, it focuses on vulnerability based trust, which is the ability to say, hey, I'm not perfect. I make mistakes. Maybe even something like, I made a mistake and something that we thought was going to work didn't. These are not typical conversations that people have at meetings. You know, most pe- meetings, people want to say, everything's on time and everything's working great and they're, beating their chest about how wonderful they are, when in reality what they might be experiencing or what others might be experiencing with them is different. We talk about being able to master conflict, and so this is the ability to challenge each other and be very honest and true in meetings. So if something you're saying doesn't make sense or isn't clear, I could raise my hand and say, Justin, can you go over that again? I'm not exactly clear in what you're saying or I'm not sure how this is going to help conflict doesn't have to be negative conflict doesn't have to set the team back or create animosity it's a great way to just be honest and talk to each other uh, you know effectively and then other things like accountability and commitment and results are also uh, you know part of the program right right
0: I suspect conflict is almost the only way to bring all the issues on the table and have a sort of frank discussion about really what you're trying to achieve
1: yeah the two areas that you know most people talk most during are the period where we talk about conflict and this need to be candid with each other and say what we need to say. You know, most people in teams are afraid of being judged and so they don't want to say something because they're going to think others are going to say, well, I can't believe he didn't know that, or how could he not know that, right? Or I can't believe he just said that, whatever. But I need to know that I can be on a team where I can be myself. And if I don't understand, or something's not clear, or I'm concerned about the timing, or the timing doesn't fit, whatever it might be, that I can raise my hand and talk about it. And then the second area is accountability. In accountability, we talk about not the team leader, but all of us on the team holding each other accountable. So accountability is not about Hey, Justin, you're the team leader. Can you talk to Susan because she's running behind, right? It's me talking to Susan because I've noticed it and ensuring that she can stay on track and do what needs to be done. So that creates a lot of conversation because that's an area that most people avoid. You know, we tend as people to follow the path of least resistance. And in that model, we don't say what needs to be said or think it'll take care of itself or I'm not going to worry about it right now, right? We create all of these... Models in our head that seem to work while at the same time they're deteriorating what's happening in our relationship because I didn't say something to you. I feel as though a lot of more people today are conflict
0: averse than before, mm-hmm. and maybe it's because of technology because you know emails can be flipped around like crazy you know after a meeting or, or even on social media or whatever. People today just really are on a one-to-one basis, not so much online but on a one-to-one basis, are super conflict averse
1: yeah, I'm not a sociologist, but I have a theory behind that, and i yeah. I, I believe that. One of the reasons, so I agree to begin with that we are mostly conflict averse and we do try to follow the path of least resistance as a student of people. And so I do watch people's behavior. I do watch organizational behavior. People do oftentimes follow the path of least resistance. And I think part of it is in our educational system, we've never taught people how to engage in conflict that's healthy and productive, right? I mean, conflict is just one of those words that feels heavy and negative and it's like, oh, gosh, I don't want to do that. And Mm -hmm. it sounds terrible. But it can be very professionally managed and professionally navigated through in ways that can help each other. I mean, there are certainly things that, you know, professionally, I wish people had told me years before they did about how I was behaving or things I was saying or doing. Ditto. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we, yeah. Cause people just don't do this. So, you know, we really want to ensure that we can be not conflict avoidant. I don't know what the opposite behavior is a conflict attractant, you know, right. but you know, are anxious to you know talk with people and work with them on things they could be doing better to be more effective. Yeah.
0: I suspect commitment and accountability really goes hand in hand because if you think about your own accountability as a member of a team, And you kind of take a step back and think sort of holistically about exactly what's going on in your career, in your life. You know, maybe you're not the right person from your department or from your other team to be a member of this team, you know. And and maybe it's like, geez, maybe there's somebody else that could be a better contributor than me. Do you ever see that? Do you ever see people say like, you know, maybe, maybe I shouldn't be on this team anymore?
1: Yes. I mean, to give you a real-life example, I had a call yesterday from a member of a team that I'm currently working on who is attempting to envision his or her future, and he or she is not sure if this team and where they are in the organization, they're one of the longer-serving people. And so tenure has an influence on where you fall and how you see yourself within a team is unsure if this continues to be the right place that they should invest their time and energy. So, you know, that's one of the things I love about being a coach and I love about this type of program working with teams is it helps people take time to reflect on where they are and what they're doing and why they're doing it, which they don't have time to do on their own. In corporate America, You know, as I mentioned, people's calendars have three or four things at the same time from the moment they get there at 8 o'clock to the moment they leave at 5 or 6 or in meetings, and you know they just don't have time to close the door and sit back and say, is this what I should be doing? Am I spending my time the best way? And literally, and I speak personally, years will go by before you finally have an opportunity or a situation arises where you can take that time. And it's usually some very dramatic situation like a layoff or a restructuring that you pause and say, you know, how did I get here and why am I here, etc. So that's one of the great things that the trust section of this work, commitment, gets people to think a little bit about their role in the book, The Five Dysfunctions of a Team, which is a fable you know, one of the players on the team exits because they just don't fit the model that has been going on. Now, they've been on the team for a while, but it took a new leader to come in and kind of drive that relationship and make a decision that, you know, the way that you behave and the things that you say and where your energy and focus is doesn't fit the team. So it does happen. And in the commitment section, you know, that's a lot about, and this is one of the trickier sections of working with teams. It's We will never all agree with each other, but we do need to understand each other. And there's a big difference between understanding and agreement. You know, you and I might feel differently about gun control, but we could understand each other's side perfectly. And in fact, we could understand it so perfectly, you could defend my side and I could defend your side. But even though we understand each other beautifully, we still don't agree, right? And so people get caught in this agreement thing. And so with teams, oftentimes they may vote so, there might be five people and they vote, and one person says no," and the other four say yes," and the one who says no is troubled by the fact that they feel differently than the others and what we ask teams to do is in the room, debate through what it is they need to debate, ensure they understand each other's side when you leave the room, we are all in agreement, and so I can't leave the room because I voted no and say to my colleagues, oh, I voted no and I think this is a mistake and you know I don't think we should be doing this. I have to say, hey, I think this is going to be a really challenging activity on the part of the organization. Here's how I'm going to help. All right, what can I do to help even though I didn't agree that this is the right direction? That's external. You know, internal, my disagreement is well known. But externally, we all have to commit. Because if you don't have commitment, you can't get to the result because you're going to get stuck because the person who didn't commit is always going to be, you know, slowing things down or delaying things and I know a lot of our listeners have met people who they would call delayers or <laughs> slower downers or distractors, right, who just keep getting us off track and we need them to commit to what we're doing so that we can focus on results.
0: Now, results, good segue. It's the last one on the list but obviously the top of the pyramid. You're on a team, you're in a business for one thing at the end of the day and that's results. So, how do you work with folks to come up with metrics, to measure their results, to think about what really
1: the results should be? Let's talk a little bit about that. Sure. I have found in the spectrum of results that there's two things that can exist at organizations. On one end of the spectrum, they may have goals and objectives already articulated, so they know why they're there. They know what they should be working on. They might have a statement that we can publish that says, hey, this is the vision and the commitment of this team. On the other end of the spectrum, they don't have anything. So they've never talked about it. They don't know why we're here. You know, they've talked as a team for a while. And like, so why are we meeting? You almost and, need
0: like a business plan. Right?
1: Yeah, it's almost like a business plan, right? <laughs> yeah. So it's helping them identify, you know, as a team, and you know, typically it's a leadership team. You know, why are we here? You know, why are we connecting and working together on a regular basis what is it that we're attempting to achieve and you know it's typically a vision statement that's a very broad and general view of why we're here and what we're doing i would tell you that you know in this program the five behaviors of a cohesive team each of the participants complete an assessment and it's a team assessment of how the team works together in areas like trust and commitment and accountability they each get a report for the program and the reports are identical. So everybody's getting the same report with the exception of a personality preference assessment. So there's a personality preference assessment in each of their binders. That's a little bit different because there's 16 different personality preference assessments. That's a whole nother podcast. But you know what it comes down to is ensuring that we have results that we can focus on that we all agree on and make sense for the organization. A lot of companies use what I call a stoplight system, where you have the projects that you're working on that comprise why we get together, and there needs to be some way to track, you know, what it is that you're working on. Uh, And I like the stoplight platform. It's typically like an Excel spreadsheet, but each of the project owners, so just like a meeting has to have an owner, each project has to have an owner. For each of the meetings, assigns a color, and green means we're on target and everything's working great, we're ahead of the curve. Yellow is, hey, we're hitting some bumps in the road. We should be fine, but you know we've got to make a couple of changes. And red is, we're in trouble. And two things that I would just quickly observe. One is people hate picking red because they think it's a reflection of their work and their effort. And yeah. you know who wants to go in and say, my project's in red, right? So there's this natural aversion to it, when in reality, this is about allocating resources. So if you're in red, it means, hey, as a team we need to work to figure out how to get you to green. And you might need more resources, you might need more money, you might need more time, you know, whatever it might be. But, you know, what do we need to do in order to help you get from red to green? So oftentimes when we go to these meetings, and I've sat in on team meetings where they've gone through their stoplight, more often than not, we lower the color. You know, a green really is a yellow, or yellow is really a red. Then it goes the other direction, right? Because people just don't like saying that they are yellow or red so that's one of the ways you know justin that people can identify what it is that they're working on and the status of it and again if you're a recurring team the list changes as well you know greens get completed they get taken off the list new things get added and we identify the status on a regular basis very good
0: now you've probably worked with maybe hundreds of teams at this point. Do you think that all teams need coaching,
1: or have you come across ones that are just like, "Hey, wow, you guys are great. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you guys are perfect." So it sounds a little self-serving, but I think you know every leader needs a coach, and I think every team needs an objective resource to come in and just you know minimally do a benchmarking on how they're doing. Yeah. Right. So in some cases, I sit at the table and I observe the behaviors of the team and I provide the team leader some feedback, and I've yet to have anyone that I haven't been able to give some feedback in that's meaningful. Certainly the longer the team's been together, the more distracted the behaviors can be. You know, Newer teams tend to be a little bit more energized and focused, yeah. uh, longer existing teams tend to be a little bit more strained and tired. So it's everything from, you know, again, using a spectrum to sitting back and just giving them some light feedback and some things they could be doing differently to be more effective to having them go through a two or three day program, identifying key behaviors that they need in order to be more effective. Most of the teams that I work with need some degree of help. And again, that sounds self-serving, but, and I would tell you during my corporate career, I spent a number of years in retail in New England, and then a number of years in business to business services, you know, 98% of the teams that I worked on could have used somebody to come in and sit in as an objective participant, just to listen and watch, and then afterwards say, hey guys, here's some things that you could have done a little bit differently to be more effective. And people have choices to make, and these are great choices they can make in how to be a more effective team.
0: Are all teams that you come across ready for coaching, or is there some sort of process they go through to sort of get acclimated with you being in the room, or how does it all work?
1: Yeah, so not everybody is ready for coaching. So that speaks to one-on-one leaders. Uh, There are some leaders who are fantastic clients. Uh, They're open to hearing new ideas. They're very introspective. They want to get better. They know they need to get better. Even if they're fantastic, you know, fantastic leaders can always do things a little bit differently to be even more fantastic, right? So it's not like there's a spot on the curve that you can be at that says, you know, you don't need to look at things a little bit differently. And people may be in different points in their career, first time as a vice president or first time leading a company, whatever it might be, and they need an objective resource to help them think about things in ways that they don't have at their organization. And the same is true for teams. There are some teams that are very ready to have somebody come in and provide them feedback and observations and challenge them on the ways that they think, and there are some teams that just aren't. And so if the leader, who has to be the most engaged team member for coaching of everyone, is ready... I need to work with the leader on how to get the team ready because it's a waste of time for a coach to come in and try to help people who don't want that help. It's true for many things, but you know if they're not, not interested in participating or don't wanna play you know, the way that you need to play in order to get good feedback, it's just gonna be a waste of time.
0: So what kind of characteristics or behaviors must exist in order for a team to be coached?
1: So a team has to be great at listening. And so these are people who are willing to hear ideas and suggestions that might be outside of their roadhouse, so to speak, of ways to think. I mean, all I know is all I know. So having somebody come in who might be able to expand that a little bit or share some ideas or observations that I just haven't noticed might be a blind spot or that I'm really good at, but I just don't pay attention to, which might be a hidden strength. But listening is a huge factor in respect to you know, participating actively in a coaching experience. Mm-hmm. They also have to be uh, prone to action, so this person that I told you a few minutes ago that I spoke to yesterday who is rethinking their career direction on the team, we talked about the need for them to take action, that we could meet on a regular basis and have fantastic meetings, but if nobody does anything with what it is that we talked about, if nobody takes another step or moves in the direction that they said at the meeting they would move in, again, it's a waste of time, yeah. right? I mean, why did we talk about it if we're not ready to move forward? So part of my job is to look for the motivators, the reasons that they want to move forward so they can grasp on to those motivators and move forward. And so in this particular program and with most of my clients, you know, I like to check in 6 months later and see how they're doing mm-hmm. and did they take action and make great progress. You sure. know, one of the downsides of coaching unfortunately is most of our engagements are for a fixed time. Finite period, and then I'm out of there. And so I can't influence. I never had influence to begin with because they didn't report to me. But yeah. you know, I hope we had a great relationship that could have helped them. But I do like to check in to see if, in fact, some of the things they said they would work on, and these are teams and these are individuals, they made progress on. So listening well and being prone to action to me are two key characteristics I look for to ensure that a team is ready to you know jump in.
0: When I first started my career, it was probably like the second company I was with, it was a medium-sized company that was growing really fast, and they had gone through a lot, they had just gone public, and there was a fabled story, who knows how much of it is true, about an off-site with the executive team, and it was kind of like a come-to-Jesus kind of a thing, and everything was on the table there was stories of tears, there were stories of things being thrown across the room. Who knows how much of it is true, but do you ever get involved in a situation where behavior just goes sideways?
1: Yes, so I've been at those meetings, so I'm sure the meeting that you heard about at your former employer is accurate. You know, another quick example, I just finished an engagement with a leadership team. It was five owners of a financial services firm, and one of the challenges they had is that they are all five equal owners. So they all own 20%. And so there's no boss, right? And so they have spent, and I'm not exaggerating, 10 years working together with no boss. And they just reached a point in their relationship where they were still talking about stuff they talked about two or three years ago. You know, they couldn't make a decision because if everyone didn't agree, nobody agreed. And they just kept spinning and spinning. So I came in. I worked with them for about a year We ended with the two-day program, The Five Behaviors of a Cohesive Team. In the section about accountability, one of the team leaders who is focused on technology development for the financial services firm cried. He had a moment and just started to talk about what he was experiencing with the team. Again, this is something that he has been carrying with him for a long time, never found a place to express it, and he started to talk about what he was experiencing and the Strain he was carrying, owning the technical development for the firm, which by the way was his own strain. It wasn't put on him by others, but he just felt he had to carry it. And, uh, you know, he broke down and cried. And to me, as a coach, as a person, it was a seminal moment in their relationship where he could finally say what he needed to say, which he has not been able to say. You know, I hope that it altered the relationships of the five you know we've identified two of them as managing partners so these are people who can now make the decisions for the five he's not one of those two but you know he had one of those seminal moments so this is one of the beauties of coaching and one of the beauties of team focus is getting to those real stories and true stories that influence who we are at teams our fear of judging our fear of conflict alter the relationships and unless we don't feel judged, and I can say whatever I need to say, no matter how stupid it may sound, or I can trust you explicitly knowing I need to tell you something, and I, you're not going to get mad at me because you know I care. We're never going to be a great team. And that's those are the behaviors that I work on and that others work on with teams in order to help them be more successful.
0: Yeah. Why don't we focus in on positive outcome? Give us a story about a team that you recently worked with where the outcome after your engagement was just, you know,
1: super positive. Sure. So there's a team based in Washington, D.C. It's a nonprofit. They have a new leader. So he has been there for about a year. He's a different leader than the leaders they have had in the past. The prior leader was actually an interim leader. And then the leader before that left under mysterious circumstances. So I mentioned that only because it had been a few years since they've had a real leader. And so the team was very fractured and unfocused in respect to what they should work on and how they should work on it, etc. So I worked with the leader for a number of months to help him do you know, kind of the 90-day things in order to hit the road running and make great progress. And then we did this program. We did the five behaviors of a cohesive team. We had very honest conversations. This is one of the teams that said, you know, Ed, we're talking about things that we've been holding on to for years, but no one has ever said. And I don't mean we just thought of them. We've thought of them years ago, right? But, you know, we just haven't said it. And so we got to air it out. And so, you know, they are in a much more positive place. I mean, even the room feels lighter. I mean, it sounds silly, right? But, you know, when we first went in, there was this heaviness to the room. People's mood was dark. You know, their attitude was dark. You know, everything was just dark and it just added a heaviness and the leader was trying to pull people up and, you know, motivate them on the positives. By the time the program was done, the room was lighter and people had said some of the things that they needed to say respectfully, of course. An important part of conflict and candor is being respectful and it just felt great. So I'm highly optimistic that the team is now focused in a direction that they'll continue to build on these skills and candor and navigating accountability and being more honest and direct with each other in ways that will help them. Nice. That's a good one.
0: So let's sort of just take a step back and talk a little bit more about how you work with clients, how your firm is structured, and you know, describe a
1: typical engagement sure so i work in three areas my primary area of focus is one-on-one leadership coaching so i work with successful leaders on how to be more successful and these are people who are in various different stages of their career and are looking to do things that they're doing more effectively I also work with teams, and so we've talked a lot today about team coaching. I think it's a highly undervalued and underrated enhancement to a team progress. It's a little bit more difficult because on a one on one relationship, it's just you and me. With a team, it could be five people, eight people, 10 people, and getting them all on board is a lot more complicated than just one person. And then the third is what I call strategic thinking and planning, which is helping. Smaller firms who are really at a pivot point in their evolution move in the direction that they want to move in, and typically it's to get larger and have a bigger footprint, and they just don't know how. So they've not been in this newer space, and whether it's marketing or legal or real estate or human resources or sales, you know, whatever the area might be, what do they need to do differently? How do they think about it strategically today for the future so they can take those steps? And then of course, to no great surprise, Drive them to action. So like teams need to take action on what it is we need to do better in order to be more effective. How does an organization take action in order to move in the right direction? Most organizations are probably pretty good at coming up with a strategy. They're horrible at
0: executing it. So these engagements are they three months, six months, a year plus, or is it just all over the place? Or
1: yeah, it tends to be all over the place. So you know, most of the one-on-one leadership coaching engagements are about six months. Uh, they go a little bit longer due to vacations and sure. conferences and things of that nature. So you know, but they do tend to be a little bit longer. The team coaching is a little shorter, and then strategic and thinking and planning can be short term in respect to coming in and doing a, hosting a two-day strategic offsite to I've got some clients I've been working with now for a couple of years who have been driving change and navigating in highly active industries and it never slows down right I, you know I love people who say you know ed I really didn't work on it a lot this quarter but next quarter is going to be quieter so I'll work on it then and you know Justin do you really think next quarter is going to be quieter and say no of course not right but this is what we do right we create stories that we think makes sense, like, oh, yeah, I'll work on it next week as if next week's going to be any better. And of course, it's not. It's not going to be better.
0: That's a great observation. (laughs) You're also an author. Raise Your Visibility and Value is a book I'm literally looking at here. Talk a little bit about that.
1: What was that experience like? Well, again, just like Personality Preferences is another podcast, so is uh, writing a book. But, you know, probably the most brilliant thing that I did in writing the book is that I started it very early on in my individualized career, after I left my last employer, before I had a lot of clients. So I had time to write, right? Now it would be much, much more difficult. But... I always felt that through my life in corporate America, you know, being a student as I was in that experience, an observer of organizational behavior and individual behavior, that there are some pieces of information and ways that people could behave more effectively in order to be different. And, you know, for me, it was, you know, taking the world of networking and connecting with others and saying, I think networking itself isn't the goal. I think it's a sub-goal of something bigger, and it's what I call raise your visibility. And so raise your visibility is how do I be more visible in my organization and industry? Networking is one of those activities, but there's dozens of other activities that you can do in order to be more visible in your organization. And then if you're going to be more visible, you don't want to be the person who everybody knows, but nobody knows what you do. You wanna also add value. Value is slowly becoming this area of interest where in a resume, it tells you a lot about what I did, but it may not talk about how the company was different because I was there. So tell me more about how the company is different because you were there, what value did you add don't just tell me what you did. You can hand me your job description and tell yeah. me you know, what your role was, but you know, what is the value? And so the book is focused on seven visibility accelerators. So these are seven behaviors that people can do. You don't have to do them all, but yeah. you can do a few of them in order to be more visible in your organization and your industry. So being very visible in your industry is super critical because job rotations happen today quicker than ever before. Mm-hmm. And you want to have a very strong industry presence so that as your job situation changes, you have resources and people and ways to stay active in your industry. And then how do I provide value? You know, how do I look at my organization? How do I find out what's important to my organization? Because different things are important at different organizations. How do I provide value and kind of close the gap between what I do and you know, what's important to my organization?
0: Very good. That sounds great. Those are awesome topics. I definitely look forward to diving into this a little bit. And I think you said the other day you're you're working
1: on a new one. Yeah, so I am working on a new book. It doesn't have a title yet, although it might be called something like Love Your Boss and Eight Other Ways to Drive Your Career. And through my life as a coach, and I've been doing this now for about eleven years, again as a student, there are pieces of advice that come up most often for most clients. So I just observed you know, two or three years ago that there were things that just naturally came up with everyone, and so I started to write them down. And I ultimately came up with nine pieces of advice that seem to apply to most people most often, regardless of who you are. You could be a president, you could be a supervisor, regardless of your industry, you could be in pharmaceuticals or law or retail, it doesn't matter. You know, there are pieces of advice that you need to know in order to be more of a driver of your career. And the title of the book is Love Your Boss, because one of them is that you have to have a positive relationship with your boss. When you have a positive relationship, anything is possible. If you don't have a positive relationship, nothing is possible. So that's one of the pieces of advice. So yeah, the goal is to uh, have it published by uh, March of 2020. So how can people get a hold of you, Ed? So they could visit my website, so excelius.com. That's dot com. A ton of information there on the three areas that I talked about, the one-on-one leadership coaching, team coaching, and strategic thinking and planning. Uh, they could send me an email at ed at excellius.com, or they could call me at 617-549-1391. All right. People don't do that enough these days. It's too bad. My daughter is a major texter, and anytime I tell her to call a friend who she's experiencing some stress with, she looks at me like I've got 10 heads. Right, why would I do that? Yeah, why would I call her? Yeah. <laughs> I'm serious, right? It's
0: like foreign. My son is 11, and he doesn't understand the phone. It's the funniest thing. Like, he calls me on the odd occasion, and he just starts talking. I'm like, dude, you have to wait till the person says hello. You know, it's like, he calls me. He's like, my Nerf gun, blah, 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 blah. No, no, wait till I say hello. It's a foreign device. <laughs> yeah. Ed, thanks for coming in today. I really appreciate it. Great. Thank you, Justin.
1: This was terrific. Okay,
0: great. We'll chat soon. Once again, that was Ed Everts of Excellius Leadership Development. If you enjoyed today's episode, please hit that subscribe button, leave a review, and most importantly, share with your friends. The Workspace Podcast can be found on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. If you have any interest in podcasting, please don't hesitate to reach out. Email is the best way. Info at
1: WorkspaceMA.com. Thanks for listening today, and we'll see you on the next one.